Great. So I'm James Wise, um, Boldest and Capital on the investment team here. And welcome to another one of our Funders and Founders series, uh, where we get to ask you questions like every board meeting that we attend, which is very exciting. Um, so I've got Bram and Brian here from 3D Hubs, portfolio company. And maybe we should start by just introducing yourselves, uh, your roles and, and sort of what you're working on. Yeah, I'm Bram. I'm together with Brian. We're co-founders of uh, 3D Hubs. Um, I focus more on the business end. So, closing partnerships and mainly investor relations. Hi guys, I'm Brian. I'm uh, also co-founder at 3D Hubs and I focus more on the product side. So, anything uh, to do with features, user experience, uh, the technical side, running the product team. Um, so, yeah, it's good fun. Great. So, uh, just to kick off, I know that you had your two-year birthday recently. Um, the most alcohol, I believe, a, a toddler's party was ever allowed to host. Um, uh, it'd be great to get an update just, just where you are as a business and let people know where 3D Hubs is now that it's two years old. Yeah, so we started two years ago uh, with about 10 printers in, in Amsterdam, allowing people to uh, to do, the, do their prints uh, locally. Um, so now we have over 18,000 printers in 156 countries. That's more countries uh, than McDonald's is active in. Um, things are going well. We're growing quickly, uh, building more tools for our supply side, demand side. So it's, uh, yeah, it's exciting. Anything to add? Yeah, that we have an amazing team. Uh, Brian and I started the two of us in the beginning. We even uh, took our bikes to Amsterdam and picked up prints at the 3D printer and then delivered it to the customer. That's how we learned what our users needed. Um, and, and that allowed us to, to scale really quickly because we knew what to optimize. Um, but today we have uh, also 35 other people, amazing people to help us both in New York and Amsterdam. So everything you hope for when you start a company is, uh, is actually happening. And because this is a relatively new space as well, do you want to discuss a little bit just where the 3D, as well as 3D has where the 3D printing market is today and how that's changed over the few years that you've been both working in the space and now as founders in the space? Yeah, so the opportunity that we saw and, and why we quit our jobs two years ago um, is that um, desktop 3D printers are, are really quickly becoming popular. So 3D printing has been around for 30 years. Many people don't know that, uh, but it, it was really hidden in factories. So large corporations were using it. Uh, but now in the last few years, you see that there's a few hundred thousand 3D printers installed on desktops. And, and those are the ones that we, we make accessible uh, to people all around the world. And, and today we provide over a billion people in the world with access to 3D printing within 10 miles of their home. So we're talking hyper-local production here. The types of things that you see people producing today, I mean, how has that changed, I guess, since you started? And um, where, I guess, the, 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 the big question is, where is it going to be in the next two years? Yeah, so people use our platform for prototyping. So a lot of designers, engineers, they need prototypes before they bring a, an actual product to the market. Uh, but we also see a trend that more and more consumers start using it. So 3D printing allows to design your own products, which is very cool and was not possible before. Uh, so people can can create their own jewelry, their own um, smartphone cases, uh, and in the future, we believe basically anything. Um, so consumers are actually becoming designers and producers, and that's a very revolutionary thing. So you two had the uh, double curse of being in a new market and being a new company, right? Which is a is a pretty hard thing to do. Uh, so you're you're disrupting a market which is still very very nascent, uh, even though as you said it's growing quickly. I think most people agree it's still relatively early in what it could be. Do you want to discuss a little bit of how you set off on this journey, and in particular your first experience of raising capital and, and hiring people? 
Yeah, we're, we're in a pretty new market and uh, we also have a new angle to the market, uh, which actually also, you know, has, has some challenges because, um, you know, it's not as, 3D printing is not as obvious yet as taking a taxi, which Uber, uh, uh, you know, is driving on. But um, um, it, it's, it also really helped us because when we started the company, there was basically no competition for what we're doing. There was no distributed 3D printing network. Around the time we started, there were about 10 others that uh, that also came popping up from different countries. Uh, but we, we really were able to outgrow them uh, over the last two years. Um, um, yeah, and in terms of uh, raising capital, uh, we were lucky enough to immediately uh, come into the Rockstart Accelerator in Amsterdam. Uh, we had a background in design and 3D printing and engineering. Uh, but we didn't necessarily know everything about uh, how venture capital worked. And, and these guys really helped us understand that. And also connecting us to investors such as Boulderton. It was actually the first investment I think we did in Amsterdam ever. Um, we've subsequently done two more. Um, partly because, you know, obviously you guys are great. Um, but partly because it's the first time I think Amsterdam really had one of these accelerators. And it's not just the accelerator. I think it's the community being built around it, right? There's lots of... There's been great tech companies built out of Amsterdam before, but I think that the existence of some of these early stage accelerators really made it more accessible to international investors. So when choosing your, your early stage investors, what, what kind of mix did you look for? What kind of people did you look for? And what have you found useful um, since taking on that seed investment and, and the subsequent Series A? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's... It's just like with dating, like within five minutes, you know, if there is a connection. Um, uh, we, we focus quite early on uh, uh, also on, on the vision. Uh, we have a very clear vision on where manufacturing is going to. Um, and if that's not aligned with the investor's vision, then it's no, you know, no use wasting each other's time. Um, so that's definitely something we check for. Of course, we, you know, we're looking at um, also ex expertise. Um, so what other investments as an investor done, and, and for example, in online marketplaces, or maybe even uh, even 3D printing. Um, and that's, that's of course, a big, big plus. So I think we spoke probably to 20, 30 investors in Holland, and it's not necessarily a waste of your time, I think, in the beginning, if you talk to investors, because you learn what a good investor is, what a bad investor is. And um, we did that in the beginning, and that allows you to really pick out the ones that you want to work with. And also, if you're new to to sort of the startup world and raising capital, uh, you don't want to talk to the top tier firms the first time around. So you kind of want to smoothen your story, learn to ask the right questions, and then go to speak to, uh, to the really good firms. And I think getting introductions from fellow founders is really uh, the best uh, thing to do because they have experience. And if they recommend you, uh, you're much more likely to get in. Um, and they have their experience and, and their insights as well. So. So when those funding conversations have gone wrong, sort of what is the pushback that you often hear? Like what are the things which to date you've, you've struggled with getting the story across? If you've had any struggles, I don't think you've had many, but when, when people do say no, why have they said no? Sort of what, what do you think is the, still the objections to the concepts of 3D hubs? Yeah, so in my experience, investors always look for three things. It's team, product, market. Um, the team and the product... We've never really had uh, many issues with talking to investors, but the market, of course, uh, is somewhat new, like you mentioned in the beginning. And, uh, and there's different types of investors. Some want to be ahead of the curve, 
invest early in, in markets that are going to explode uh, in the near future and others are uh, less risk uh, taking. So I think that's really the sort of of the three aspects, the one where, uh, where some investors are more comfortable than others. So you mentioned, obviously, a major part of your business is, is the dynamics of being an online marketplace. So you can discuss a little bit about the struggles you've had over the two years and the learnings that you've, you, you've taken on board uh, in building what you know, a lot of people see as one of the most difficult types of business models that you can build. Yeah, so I think we, we were quite lucky uh, starting out. So we, uh, we started with the supply side, as many marketplaces do, and we... Uh, we launched the Unlock Your City campaign, which kind of went viral. So we said we need 10, uh, 10 printers in every city that we uh, before we become active, basically. So we got the kind of the crowd to find those printers f- uh, for us. So that allowed us to really grow very fast in the first couple of months. Um, and then after we built the supply side, uh, it became more about matching the demand and the supply side. So matching the customer with the right printer. And that's currently the sort of the phase we're now in. So it, we have 18,000 printers in, in 150 uh, something countries. So uh, really finding uh, the best printer for the customer, whether he's a researcher at NASA or uh, a student or just a jewelry designer who wants to have something printed. We really want to make it super easy for them to just find the right printer and have a good product printed. Uh, for a nice price fast. So it's really in the matchmaking side uh, that we're doing a lot of uh, cool stuff at the moment. So one of the areas that I I find quite interesting about 3D Hubs is sort of the fan model and how sort of my my experience of it being a hub myself is that once you do print something, you basically turn the early adopters into advocates for you, right? Because not only do they get the product, but they often then are doing it because they want to understand 3D printing themselves. And ultimately, those people may also convert and become hubs themselves further down the line. Yeah, I think what works really well is that we, so with 18,000 hubs, we kind of have a sales force that's much more powerful than the 35 people we have in the office. So, and that's kind of our engine of growth. So supporting and facilitating those hubs to bring in customers to do their own marketing, give them flyers, give them discount codes, whatever they need to sort of run their own shop, be an entrepreneur in 3D printing. That's, I think, where our key uh, focus lies and our competitive advantage because we scaling up is easy. We don't have to acquire uh, the printers or the hardware. We just grow where uh, the demand is. So. And the big, uh, the big changes coming for 3D hubs, is there anything in the next sort of few six months, 12 months, 24 months that you're uh, able to tell us about now and, and sort of give us an insight into how you see this market price going further? Um, well, I think what's super exciting is our uh, API, which just launched uh, not too long ago. Uh, it's, it's public, so anyone, uh, whether you're an app developer, designer, uh, running a fashion business, you can simply integrate it. Uh, and have people order 3D prints from your website. So never before, as a designer, could you go and design something and just put it online and say you can print it across these 18,000 locations in the world. So as a designer, all of a sudden, you don't have to think about transportation, stock, investment into molds or packaging or distribution. So that's super exciting. And uh, we've got lots of uh, people applying for the API, starting to build with it. So I think over the next couple of months, there will be a lot of cool and not, uh, innovative applications uh, fusing the API. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting uh, example because, I mean, there are lots of marketplaces now which are looking at 
rather than giving people infinite choice along their marketplace, are actually trying to take out some of that choice and just make it super simple to get the right one for you via APIs. You know, Uber's integrations into you know, things like Sunrise Calendar and City Mapper, two of our companies, is really interesting. You can order one straight from the app rather than having to go into Uber. Uh, I think there's lots of, you know, Airbnb, I think I've got an open API integration as well, help people find more relevant homes. How do you think that's going to play out? And, and how did you make the decision internally to pursue that? And what impact do you think it's going to have on on your your marketplace, as it were? Yeah, so a very important realization is is that we have the production network, so we are able to 3D print anywhere around the world as close to the end user as possible. Um, but just having um, 3D printing capacity is not enough, right? So people need to find or be able to create designs, um, and and there's a lot of really good companies already doing that. So we said, um, let's not compete with these guys, but let's work together with them. Um, and there's there's hundreds of platforms that are creating 3D printable content. Um, and for all the leading ones, we're, we're the production partner. So through our API, uh, we're connecting their content to our, to our production network. One, one example is Thingiverse, uh, their world's largest online uh, repository of 3D designs, and they have 700,000 of them. So you can now basically produce 700,000 designs across 18,000 locations in the world. That is not only in 3D printing, but in any other in industry that has never really occurred. So um, that, that kind of use cases of the API are really unique, yeah. But I guess you're not worried that people won't no longer be coming to the 3D Hub's website, right? They'll be using you more as a, as a service rather than a, as a marketplace. Does that change the way you're building the business, types of um, the marketing you do, the, the types of people that you hire? Yeah, I think that, that API part and 3dapps.com um, can work very well side by side. Um, whatever, in, in whatever way we make 3dapps.com smarter and do smarter matching, uh, of course, we'll also, um, yeah, we'll also happen to the API. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it's not, I wouldn't consider it like two very separate entities. I think what's the reason why we're an essential part to this mix is that we're a matchmaker, so there's a lot of uh, supply and a lot of demand. And uh, I think what you'll see in the future is that um, you order cutlery designed online, printed in metal from, you know, from from a design warehouse who has a design to a, a hub that can produce nice shiny metal. Then next day you want custom fit earphones, um, so you get the design from somewhere. We connect you to the right hub for printing that. So there's a lot of. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of repetition that you every day go to the same place uh, and kind of cutting out the middleman is, I think, le less of a, uh, a threat to us because there's just so much fragmentation on, on both sides of the market. So us, our task is just to create a seamless connection between the two sides and uh, make that super easy like Uber did or Airbnb does. So. so one of the big challenges for any online marketplace is keeping people on the platform, right? And it's obviously, I think historically, there's been many people worried about uh, the sort of the, the going round issue going around the platform issue, whether it's payment alone or it's for the full service. How have you tackled that historically and sort of what do you have as in terms of recommendations for other people building marketplaces to solve the, the common the common issue? I'm, I'm a product guy, so I, I like to believe that if you build the right tool, uh, that will in itself solve most of the leakage because if your tool is just the easiest way, the most comfortable way to do it, then most of the leakage will, will disappear. Um, the other side of attacking this is really sort of reinforcing and really being um, 
sort of policing uh, the marketplace, which I think is a very negative approach and in the long term won't hold. So uh, it's about really talking to both your your uh, demand and supply side and learning what what is important for them, and then providing the best tool out there to uh, to just kill it and and uh, just beat beat all the other ways that uh, people might be using your platform. Um, yeah, so for us, um, one example is that we know that email uh, can sometimes be uh, our competitor. So sending in an order through email uh, is sometimes easier than using our website. So we decided to create an email-to-order flow. So you can use a unique email address and, uh, and have order on the platform. So in those simple ways, you can sort of beat, uh, beat the leakage, I think, by building a better product. So finally, uh, final question for you guys. Um, you know, we are at Bolton here. We're, we're investors in European entrepreneurs, European companies, um, which is both a blessing and a curse, I guess. Uh, a lot of people have got uh, sort of um, various reasons to be critical about European tech companies and various reasons to be excited. So what have you found have been the strengths of being based in Amsterdam and sort of in terms of the future of the company, where do you think it's going to be built and, and where do you think it's going to grow from? Nice, nice question. I think... Um, the cool thing of being in a place like Amsterdam is that it's hyper-connected. So there's a crazy amount of uh, nationalities. There's very talented people coming from all across Europe, all across the world uh, to Amsterdam because it's a hub. And same, of course, goes for London or Berlin. Um, so if, you're, if you start from Amsterdam, it's relatively easy to, to just tackle Europe uh, and then decide to go overseas to the U.S., the other way around is a lot more difficult. Uh, of course, if you just focus on the English-speaking markets first and then try to go into uh, Europe, it's just a melting pot of different cultures and languages. So I think that's uh, that's a big advantage of being in Europe. Um, maybe you have something to add to it. Yeah, I think in general, the Netherlands is really great testing ground uh, for new new products, uh, new companies. Um, you know, the, the, the market's like medium-sized, 17 million people. Uh, I hear more people speak English in the Netherlands than in England itself. Yeah, I can believe that. <laughs> and, and we have, I believe, English. one of the highest uh, internet uh, usage in the world. So uh, it's a really great testing ground. If you mess it up, you don't mess up the whole world. You just mess up Netherlands and you go to England, Germany or the US. Uh, but if you're successful there, it's really easy. You're next to Germany, you're next to, to England. And, and people in Holland because Dutch is such a useless language, speak many different languages, right? So we typically speak English, French, uh, German. German. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great city. And I believe in Amsterdam city center, about 50% of the people are non-Dutch. So it's super international. I have to thank you guys for not making us hold board meetings in Dutch. It's been a big advantage for me. Um, but thanks so much, guys. I think that's, that's our time up. Um, I would highly recommend anyone who uh, wants to understand more about 3D printing or just try it out to obviously use the Bolderson 3D printing hub uh, whenever they're in London or of course go on the 3D hub's website and find the nearest location to them. Uh, there's content on the website but also as mentioned on companies like Sketchfab or Thingiverse you can also find content and, and download it directly or, or upload it to the website uh, and see exactly what these guys are capable of. Thanks very much Brian and Brian and hopefully we'll get to interview you on your fourth birthday as well. <laughs>